0: Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts as well as students about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to Season 3 of EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapiro, the Associate Dean of the Faculty at the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to talk with my colleagues and our alumni about policy, planning, and health, the interaction between these issues, and how they affect people in New Jersey, the United States, and the world. We're going to start this season by looking forward. While we're still in the midst of a global pandemic and a recession, many of my colleagues have been giving much thought to what the world will look like as we emerge from the chaos of the past year. Today, I'm very happy to be talking with my fellow Associate Dean, Clint Andrews, a professor in our nationally ranked urban planning program, and also in our new public and urban informatics program. Welcome to the podcast, Clint. Thanks so much, Stu. A lot of your recent work has been about smart buildings. Let's start out with sort of a definition here. What are smart buildings, and, uh, and and talk a little bit about your work on them?
1: Sure. So, a smart building is just a regular building, first of all, but it does have extra sensors and information and communication technologies embedded in it that are that help to manage comfort levels for people inside the building and their security and to make the systems operate more efficiently. And so it's the kind of thing that you see in both new buildings and in retrofits and, you know, commercial buildings, offices and so forth, and also at home. And most of us are familiar with Alexa and Siri and Google. And and those are uh, good analogies for what a smart building might do. You end up creating kind of an ecosystem of electronic services that feed through this central brain.
0: So you'd be able to talk to your furnace or to your refrigerator the way you talk to, and I'm hesitant to say Alexa's name too loudly or else she'll respond here. Uh, but you could talk to the to the other parts of your, uh, your building as well?
1: Uh, that's uh, possible, although that's not the main focus of uh, okay. most smart building technologies. It's much more about the different pieces of equipment talking amongst themselves about you.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm going to put the alarming aspect of that aside for the moment. Um, let, let's talk, though, about sort of what need this fills. Um, what's making these uh, these smart buildings uh, more desirable or, or even necessary? Part of it is uh,
1: realizing that we are using... A variety of resources in a kind of a profligate manner and so there's a real efficiency drive at the heart of the smart building movement that wants us to use energy more efficiently because if we don't then the um, fossil fuels get burned and uh, increase the rate of global warming so this de- that's definitely part of it another part is uh that security has become a serious issue for many uh, for many uh, enterprises. It's actually less of an issue at home for most people than it is in uh, commercial and institutional buildings, as uh, just a couple of days ago the U.S. Capitol experienced. And uh, so that's part of the story. And you can think about how this might play out in, in a city where, There might be millions of people on the streets, but only a small number of them really should have access to a building. And so you want to have a security guard who says, okay, you're allowed in, but you're not. Uh, Show me your ID. Um, Maybe it's automated to some extent and there's swipe cards. Maybe it will be automated further and they'll use biometric techniques to say, okay, you have the... um, Uh, the the pattern in your eyeballs is correct, you really are allowed, or maybe they'll use your gait and uh, say, yep, you walk like Stuart, so you're allowed in the building.
0: Uh Oh, wow. Fascinating. So we think sort of office buildings, we might see these more in sort of the the commercial sector than the residential sector, um, at least sooner. We certainly have
1: had that already for decades now so we've had these enhanced security systems at least since um, uh, 2001 in in pretty much uh, all government buildings and many commercial buildings especially in the finance sector Um, but we have had even for an even longer period uh, uh, control systems that try to maintain Let's say thermal comfort, you know, to make sure you're not too hot or cold in, y- in your building. And sometimes it's as simple as the old Honeywell thermostat on your wall, that kind of circular thing that you can either turn it up or down and that's it. Or much, much more elaborate systems that um, we see in uh, office buildings and in, um, uh, let's say, wet labs and places like that, where they are really paying attention to all sorts of cues, you know, what's the carbon dioxide level inside? Is it? Uh, what's the temperature inside? What's the humidity level inside? All of those kinds of issues. And that's been around for uh, half a century, at least.
0: So is this uh, is this a developed world phenomenon or do you see this more in the developing world what 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 parts uh of our planet are we seeing these more on
1: You definitely uh, see the smart technologies entering where people have money and so it is uh, pretty standard in the larger buildings that we build in North America uh it's also completely standard in the high-end buildings that are built all over the developing world although you aren't going to see it in a shanty town or a favela except in the form of uh an alexa
0: or a siri right right that makes sense um you mentioned climate change already what what kind of magnitude of impacts um, can smart buildings have in terms of of climate change now obviously there's a lot of different areas we have to you know we have to have more efficient cars we have to have more efficient power plants all that. What kind of contribution can smart buildings make
1: It's definitely in the sort of ten percent range it's not uh, going to solve the problem all by itself instead it's an enabler it, it lets you shave a few uh points of waste off of uh let's say your heating system because it will be able to tell the pumps that push the hot water around the building oh look that zone over there uh, doesn't need as much heat as normal so we can dial back the amount of water pumped and so uh, that uh, helps on the order of 10 to 15 percent in in improving energy efficiency but there's a second dimension which is more of a game changer and that's that a smart building is a prerequisite to a smart uh, utility infrastructure and a smart city and so once buildings can talk to um, electric meters can talk to the electric grid then we start to open up many more possibilities that include things like um electrifying the uh more of the economy and thereby being able to rely on renewable energy less than on fossil-fueled energy sources and so part of uh, an important part of the story is this way it allows uh, uh game changers to to come into being
0: so, you know, I'm a policy person. Um, I'm going to ask, are we seeing mandates for these buildings? Are we seeing incentives for these buildings? How? What role can government and the public sector play in encouraging the kind of networked gains that you're talking about there?
1: They, there's, there's an important distinction here between the roles they can play and the roles they are typically playing. <laughs> uh-huh. And so uh, what they can do is they they can certainly either mandate the use of certain styles of technologies or incentivize them. And we see this very unevenly. If you look at the state level, which is where an awful lot of uh, energy policy takes place in the United States, you'll see a state like Colorado encouraging smart metering infrastructure, which is kind of a gateway technology for smart buildings. And you see, uh, New Jersey is a good example actually, where they are resisting um, mandating the use of smart metering um, because they are skeptical of of the benefits and worried that it's an unnecessary cost. now the other things that are happening uh, that we can thank government for are uh, a lot of uh, sponsored research in this area this is a major area a major focus of the uh, u.s department of energy's building technologies office it also in the spirit of the what's known as the smart and connected communities Uh, portion of the National Science Foundation it's receiving a fair amount of support that way especially on this part of trying to connect uh, smart buildings to smart utilities to smart uh, cities and then uh, the final thing I'll mention is standards none of this stuff works very well unless there's some agreement on standards that allow a true ecosystem of devices to be able to talk with one another
0: Gotcha. And do those standards come from the public sector, or does the private sector, like they do with ISO or, or other programs, develop them on their own?
1: Typically, the private sector develops them on their own. So there will be an like the IEEE standard for uh, that allows us to have Wi-Fi and to have Wi-Fi that works all over the world. Um, but then those standards that are developed by IEEE or ISO or one of the other Um, entities then get recognized in uh, official documents like building codes and legislation where uh, it's common to refer to, let's say, ASHRAE Standard 90.1. as the level at which buildings should perform if they're going to um, uh, be legal in this country.
0: I see. Great. Well, I want to sort of wrap up uh, with a couple questions connecting uh, all of this to our current moment. Um, this podcast started in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and, and now as you know, things are very dark, but hopefully there, there's an end sometime in 2021. How has uh, the experience of the past year affected urban planning in general, and uh, and building trends in, in particular?
1: I think uh, the COVID experience, especially, has really uh, led us to question some very fundamental assumptions about what's the role of the built environment and does it really make sense to do all these behaviors that have become kind of ingrained, like should there be a daily commute? Um, uh, Do we, should we work in different places than we live? That certainly wasn't common uh, a few hundred years ago, but it became common. Uh, enabled by the automobile among others. And so we are revisiting that in a way, uh, urban planning reacts to uh, what people do rather than leading. And so part of it is gonna depend on many uh, individual decisions by uh, corporate leaders or, uh, or people on the job deciding when to go back or um, uh, how many days a week to do the telecommute. And um, so so that's one, one way in which uh, you know, things are changing. We're basically having discussions we haven't had in probably 100 years. And that's exciting. It opens up lots of potential. It's also terrifying, of course, especially if you have any money invested in real estate.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, my perception is that there is, you know, this is a field of study that's going to be, be decades long now in terms of how what's going on right now is uh, what's gone on since, since March of 2020 affects a wide variety of fields, transportation, et cetera. And I think you've hit on a big one, the working at home. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people are going back to work full time. And that is going to affect the built environment.
1: It absolutely is. Although I have to tell you, uh, this is one of these areas where different segments of our population have different experiences. And you and I will not have to go back until um, our, our students finally demand to see us face to face to prove that we're real. But there are other segments of the economy where you have to show up. And especially where there's a lot of kind of either capital invested so you, you know humans need to serve those machines or where face to face service is is valued and we you know we've learned that even in that area uh there are remote equivalents that uh we're still not sure whether we value them to the same extent as the face to face we I, I suspect that we don't but they might be good enough substitutes for a, a variety of things and all of this I think adds further uncertainty about uh, the future of work and certainly the future of the built environment is going to echo the future of work.
0: Right. And, you know, as we dig our way out of this economic uh, situation, recession that we're in, uh, how we dig ourselves out. Is uh, is going to play a significant role and and be affected by all of all of these things as well. Um, so it, it does all tie together there. Any any final thoughts on on what our audience should know about the the future of building, smart building, and and uh, and the urban environment? Uh, just a, a couple of
1: thoughts that. This is an area where there are several dynamics at play and all of them are important. One is a demographic dynamic, an aging population, fewer children, continued migration, um, uh, uh, continued uh, both uh, uh, presence of very, very wealthy people and uh, very, very poor people. So uh, that's uh continues to be part of the background. The second thing that is always going to be there is the technology dynamic. We are going to continue innovating in this space. And uh, a lot of it is going to affect uh, what cities look like, but it's also going to affect us as individuals. Even uh, the, there's a scary word that's been popular out in Silicon Valley, transhumanism. Uh, and in in crude in a crude sense, it sort of says, we well, used to have to work at an office with a filing cabinet and a desk. And then we figured out how to put all that onto a computer. And then we figured out how to put all of that onto our mobile phone that sits in our pocket. And in another another decade at a max, we're going to figure out how to have that be a nice little dangly earring or a nice little subdermal implant. And our, our we're going to carry our office around um, just under our skin. And that is going to f- further change both the human experience and what we need from our built environment. And so at all these levels from the demographic to the very intimate, uh, change is coming.
0: Wow. Well, we wanted to start this season sort of talking about the future. And I think, uh, I think uh, you've helped us uh, do that in a, in a very profound way. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Clint. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Also, a big thank you to our production team, Amy Cobb and Karen Olson. Um, We'll be back next week with another talk from another expert from the Blaustein School. Until then, stay safe.